Hello and welcome to a new episode of our podcast Macro Monthly. My name is Hans Tegenman and with me are investment strategist Maritza Cabezas and Jori de Wilde. Together we discuss current economic topics and political developments and how they relate to sustainability. Good afternoon, Yuri, Maritza. Back from holiday end of summer, and I think more than enough to discuss about macroeconomic environments, but also in general about, about everything what mm-hmm. has happened over the summer. Normally, you would say summer is a quiet uh, period, but I think at this moment not. Maritza, Yuri, how was your holiday? It was uh, good, but it was also very hot, Hans, as mm-hmm. you probably also have noticed. I went to France with uh, some friends in a little van, so that was uh, extremely hot. And what you also could see this time on Google Maps was that there were lots of fires on the on the map. So that was an indication of the, the drought and how, uh, how hot it was. That was, of course, uh, very worrisome, but it was the good thing was that I got to practice already with uh, taking a cold shower, which of course is needed. Uh, we uh, now went, are going into fall and into winter. These uh, surging gas prices. So, so yeah. you you keep on having cold showers. That's the intention. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, yeah. Maritza, how was your summer? Uh, yeah, it was. I I was also on a holiday, and I was coincidentally also in France. And I have to say that I didn't notice that much of the heat wave because we were in the middle of a forest, and I can recommend it because it's about six seven degrees less when you're uh, in the shade. Mm-hmm. Even when uh, we went to, uh, let's say, big cities, if you look for shade and you look to, to stay under the trees, it makes a big difference. So I think that any project for urbanization, given the higher temperatures, we should always consider planting trees in cities. Yeah. And that, that was the lesson I learned and how important uh, trees are now in our lives, especially with higher temperatures. Yeah. So we had a, a very hot summer. And I think also from an economic perspective, it has been two months since our last podcast. What has happened in the economy while we were on holiday? In the economy, actually, what, what happened was a similar story as when we left. So we've seen a slowdown in the in the global economy happening. We've seen all sorts of economic growth projections being um, uh, lowered. And we have seen as well on the, on the financial markets, we have seen a camping rally, right? So we've seen the stock market moving up. Interest rates moving down, but uh, that has come to an end now. And the most important thing I think that has uh, changed is that there's now really a high probability for a recession in the Eurozone and in the UK as well. Yeah, and if if you look at the markets, you saw really in July it was very optimistic. Um, Do you think it was because everybody was on holiday? It could also have had some technical reasons indeed, like uh, low volumes and yeah. stuff like that. But um, I think one of the most important underlying reasons was that there was uh, a general sense that maybe central banks would not be as aggressive as they had communicated. So that yeah. was um, starting in mid-June, there was a belief, well, maybe it will not be that bad. The interest rates will not go any higher and they will be lowered actually in uh, 2023. Um, and that was uh, supporting these uh, financial market rallies. Last week, that definitely came to an end. And that was related, of course, to the Jackson Hole meeting uh, in Wyoming of uh, gathering of all central bankers from all around the world. And um, for the people who follow that less closely than you do, Yuri, mm-hmm. what was said there? 
actually what was said was not that different than what they said before, but the main point they wanted to make is that they won't back down and that inflation is their number one concern now and will be their number one concern uh, for the next uh, period of time. And that means that they will continue to increase their uh, policy rates. And at the same time, when they've reached the peak, they will also stay at that peak for a longer period of time than markets had expected. So they really will not back down. That was the, the most important message. If I'm interpreting that correctly, you say it was nothing new, but still there's a market reaction because the market was expecting something different than they were intended to do. Yes, that's basically oh, that's, what happened. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maritza, um, I think two months ago you were not that optimistic about emerging markets, if I remember well. Maybe you are now? Well, the thing is that obviously emerging markets are being hit in several fronts. And one of them is actually it's very sensitive to what is happening in central banks in advanced economies. And as uh, Yuri mentioned, uh, there is a rate hike cycle going on in uh, the Fed, uh, ECB. And uh, particularly what the Fed does uh, impacts emerging markets. Mm -hmm. So we have seen as in the past two months uh, that central banks in uh, many emerging markets have continued hiking rates, some quite aggressively, actually, especially uh, countries like Hungary, which are uh, being hard hit, let's say, by all the energy crisis in Europe. So that has been the, the normal pattern in emerging markets. But there has been something quite special, let's say, in the past two months, and that is China, which lowered its rates, 10 basis points uh, decline. And uh, that is extraordinary, let's say, in this context of high interest rates. And, uh, well, you know uh, what has been happening. China is trying to manage its uh, slowdown. It has a property market risks. And uh, basically what they're trying to do is make credit more cheaper, let's say, in order to reduce the impact on the, the yeah. property market and elsewhere. Yeah, I think China is 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 different, but I also think it's it's kind of dangerous if you have already high, relatively high debt historically in China to reduce your uh, interest rates, and then hopefully you can increase, of course, investment. But it means also higher debt, so it's also a different game they are playing. I think now than they were used to do. Usually, we were accustomed to seeing China increase its investments. Mm -hmm. That has been the general pattern. When yeah. things get tough, they increase their investments. Since, um, yeah, around a decade, they've tried to do more targeted type of interventions. And uh, this seems uh, to follow that script. So instead of just increasing investment, trying to not get the property market or the, the housing market, let's say, into too much trouble, and instead try to fine-tune through interest rate policy. Yeah. We are not that getting more positive, I have the feeling, about, uh, about the economy over the last two months. You that's mean? correct. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And but I also uh, see there are regional differences. So that's yeah. that's also we have to yeah. keep in mind. Yeah, you you mean the US is probably better than the eurozone. Yeah, and it's also a different story compared yeah. to China. So yeah. that's that's yeah. what you see. Yeah, and and central banking policy is is one of the key factors I think also going forward. True. Um, so let's also go to my frustration of the month, my favorite topic. <laughs> um related to central banking policy. My frustration is if you also look at the speeches at uh, Jackson Hole of Schnabel and uh, and Powell, they think the economy is a kind of static thing. 
they really think we can manage it if we do it in the right way. So also Isabel Snabel said uh, it's uh, maybe heading to the great volatility, but if we are firm in our how we anchor expectations, uh, that central banking speak, we can do it. And I think that it is a big risk. What we have seen over the let's say, last 10 years, is that central banking policy, so the very loose monetary policy, was in favor of the richest people. So we got more inequality because of central banking policy. And what they now do is the obvious, they they, uh, hike the rates with the purpose of getting a recession or at least having less tension in the economy and that should lead to, in the end, to a recession because the worst for central bankers would be that wages also could go up. So it has to be it ends again with the lowest paid that bear the brunt. And I think that's that's frustrating that we don't talk about that part because life is not so easy. And we need to get everybody along also with with monetary policy. And I no central banker made that point. So they think, yeah, it's just a kind of system we can manage. Oh, and there are people behind. Oh, we forgot. Indirectly, maybe they do make the point because they state that if inflation remains elevated, that is even more of a risk than doing nothing. And they then point to the lowest income households that also suffer the most from this elevated inflation. So indirectly, maybe they are addressing the issue. But I agree with you that they don't do it in a structural manner. But it's also the question, is that now they're task to to do that and uh, you you can also say and that's what uh, joseph stieglitz said last week you can also say we have a supply side problem so it's a different kind of problem we have had it's the same as it started in the 70s but we have a supply side problem it's energy it's food Mm. and we if it leads to a wage price spiral it comes in the total economy but a solution for a supply side problem especially if you want to have a transition is investing in it when do you get investments like China? You want to, you have to lower your interest rate or not go high as fast as you currently do. So you can have, and that's what I miss, and that's maybe also my frustration. So the, the multiple perspectives you can have on monetary policies, looking forward to how a world is a complex thing and how it can change. But maybe let's let's put some things in perspective. I think that. Well, central banks, they, they have specific mandates and most of them have inflation as their mandate and yep. not inequality. And uh, the Fed happens to have also, let's say, employment. When you had the 2007-2008 uh, financial crisis, you had, at least in the U.S., a jobless recovery in the first years after yep. the, the crisis. And then central banks thought, you know, this, we need to do something. And then obviously they started with their quantitative easing and pumping all this money into the system. So in a way, they were trying to help the recovery through monetary easing. But then you have now the situation where actually you need to take out money from the system. You need to tighten your monetary policy because your inflation is getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so central banks, I guess then I, I agree with, with Yuri that their only instrument they have, let's say, is trying to tame inflation through monetary policy, through interest rates. And basically there that will come at a cost. So it's not that they want the recession. They want to reduce uh, inflation through interest rates 
And that will, obviously, the way the economy is structured, who goes first when you start tightening and when you start slowing down the economy? It's those jobs, let's say, with less skilled workers, and yeah. then comes your inequality story. But then you, you need, let's say, other actors, other institutions, other sectors to, 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 Absolutely. to, to move in, let's say. Absolutely. But maybe maybe to, to take my perspective on it, um, if you take the end of the 70s, the early 80s, when Paul Volcker hiked the, the rates extremely, it was the end of automatic price compensation for a lot of workers in the Western world. So it was also the end of a lot of fixed terms. So we made the labor market more flexible as a, as a policy response, as an answer to the problem of monetary policy. Yeah, so let's separate. Now we have a different position. We have already very flexible labor markets. So we have already problems on the labor market. And now... To have a solution is not to make it more flexible. No, to let workers pay for it. So with with an extreme decrease in purchasing power at this moment, it was not so bad in the 70s. It's now worse. And that's my frustration that you say, yeah, we had a policy solution. Then we do it the same. Oh, no, we are in a different position. Oh, let them pay more. That's my, let's end this part. But... I'm getting really frustrated. With that. I can see that. Yeah, but I think it's also in relation with fiscal policy, of course, and that's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. should be the. the I conclusion. think I yeah. think that's it. I, I I agree completely. So you have central banks doing their job, and probably not with all the instruments to attack the problem at its roots, but you need you know to to see how other institutions yeah. work to reduce the impact. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. This this was clearly my frustration. Let's go to a really linked topic to it, and that's that's poverty. What we currently have, and we touched already upon it, is a new term this year, energy poverty, especially in Europe. But I think in emerging markets, we can also speak about food poverty, which is a, a bigger problem there, I think. And this really has an economic component because it's it's related to everything that we see. And it, it definitely has a policy component. So how can you have a solution to this this big problem for our our and Western emerging markets for, for our economies? Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas on this, Yuri? For a solution. To, for a solution yeah. or or maybe start with a problem. What what is the problem we have? And is uh, if, it if, different than, than half a year ago? It is. And then also we, we come back to the first part. It also is uh, regionally different. different. Yeah. So if we look at advanced economies, then you can clearly see that uh, Europe is the main culprit. And that's because, of course, there are uh, close links uh, to Russia with the gas supplies. And uh, consequently, gas prices have gone through the roof. And now there's really a, a, an uh, emergency happening because there are lots of households that are on the brink of uh, poverty. And mm-hmm. what you see now happening is that there is indeed a severe rise in the cost of living. I just uh, read in uh, research from IMF that uh, on average in Europe, the cost of living is increasing 7% this year, so 7%. And what we are seeing now is, uh, of course, different policy responses in the, in the European Union taking place and also in the UK. And most of them focus on broad-based measures, so they either do something with the tax for uh, on energy or they have a price cap, so price control. And these are all broad-based measures. And my idea, and that's also what you see now in, in different types of research, is that that's very insufficient. Mm-hmm. So what is 
better if you want to address this uh, emergency and uh, huge uh, chance on poverty for many households is that you target these groups and you give them more targeted support. And then, for instance, it's best to do that through increasing, for instance, minimum wage or linking it to other social benefits instead of one-offs. So just giving them one paycheck and then good luck with the, yeah. <laughs> with the energy crisis. Yeah. And uh, Moritz, an emerging market, I think it's different in terms of what the problem is and also the solutions probably. Well, I think the, the, the problem is that what Yuri described usually is magnified in emerging markets. Yeah. That is to say, if you try to look at what is the participation of food and energy in the consumption basket in many emerging uh, economies, uh, particularly low incomes, it's between 40 and 60 percent. While in the Netherlands or in the U.S., it's around uh, 20 percent. So that means that when prices increase of energy and uh, food, it's, it's a harder blow for low-income households. Then the situation is also that obviously governments try to mitigate and they try to subsidize gasoline prices and that is subsidizing also higher-income households. Mm -hmm. So I guess the lessons learned is that you actually that is not effective because that doesn't reduce the consumption, which is what you really want yeah. to do. Yeah. So uh, basically there, what you need is targeted uh, measures that really help the poor. I think that that's indeed true. So basically, I think there, there are two reasons to do this targeted support. One is, of course, that you want to reduce energy consumption in general. So you don't want to support uh, people keeping using this much energy. And the second one that you uh, want to reduce is that it's also uh, more cost efficient. That's also in the yeah. research. So if yeah. you if you s support everyone, it's more expensive than if you only support a targeted group of people. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah you're benefiting the the the, the right people yeah. that are uh, yeah. having this poverty tax. That's what the energy the higher costs are called. Yeah. yeah, and I guess yeah, there are people with swimming pools. They've uh, <laughs> who get their swimming pools heated oh, no. thanks to these subsidized energy yeah. prices. Yeah. Yeah. And if we if we try to put this what's happening now with with poverty in general in a, in a in a perspective of the last 10 to 15 years is this unique is this different uh, how should we frame it it's very different um i've seen that uh, gas prices increased 15 fold which has never yeah. happened so this is a unique situation and it's also uh, the outlook isn't uh, rosy because the, this, this is not going away anytime soon. So it is, it is, if you look at the last 20 years, it is completely different. And emerging market, is it also different or is it just another crisis? Well, the thing is, Hans, that we've had uh, the pandemic. Yeah. And that was, uh, it's a shock that was very intense because obviously emerging economies did not have uh, all the government support that they needed. And then comes this new crisis. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's too soon and uh, and the healing hasn't taken place yet. Yep. And uh, what I do want to say is that actually, if you look at 2019, where poverty was in the indicators, it, there were countries, and I can name Bangladesh, that were actually doing quite well. Yep. And right now, the situation is that, you know, this, these... Uh, 
elements, these shocks are, are, are having a very negative effect on the economy, but it's not, it, it adds on to the bad policies, the things that yeah. normally go on. Yeah, we have COVID and then we also have uh, some natural disasters here and there, like uh, extreme weather. Um, but to end this part, a little bit positive. What perspective is there for, for people? What what can we do? Maybe, um, I, I don't like people saying, yeah, crisis is an order word for a, for a chance or whatever. Opportunity. Opportunity, I, I hate oh, that I, kind of I, stuff. I, but in terms of transitions, we also we always said a price is steer market. So if we have high prices for fossil fuels, you should get renewable energy. If I can go just, to to our in let's say individual or our working uh, environment i think that right now you know we see that there's a lot of pressure to to do many things related to sustainability mm-hmm. because we know that the time is ticking mm-hmm. and and i do think that we need to work together more because the solutions won't come let's say from think tanks or from central banks yeah. And uh, the solutions will be found probably in in our own organization in some way, just a part of the puzzle will be found there. So my call is basically to to work together more, to collaborate more, and not to see this, let's say, as a thing that someone else will solve. And and that is basically what I think we're trying to do within Triodos, with all our working groups, our projects, I hope that this is replicated in in many other organizations. Yuri, other positive notes? Yeah, I think that on a high over level, um, governments are now pushed more to accelerate the energy transition and they have to invest more money into uh, being less dependent on Putin. And that's what's happening, hopefully, in the... In the medium term, of course, in the short term, yeah, they can. Short term, we have a problem. We have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and and we also, yeah, I'm thinking Houston. We have a problem. We also go to the moon. That's also positive. That's another topic. Let's go to the data of the month. Two months ago, we had um, on the S and P 500. Will the bear market go on? Remind you, that was the end of June. And Yuri, what did you say? I was very positive, and I said, "Well, it will not continue. We'll." Um Go in the opposite direction. So if we had an episode end of July, you were right. I'm still right. I, I, looked, okay. I looked it up yesterday. <laughs> less right than end of July. Less, less right, but uh, it's still, if you compare it to two months ago, the stock market is higher now than it was two months ago. But the direction has turned again. Yeah, since a few days we're going down. So if we had this podcast one week later, probably Maritza could yes, have been yeah, right. So that's but why we scheduled moment, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I think point uh, forecasts are, are very tricky because, you know, if if uh, something happens on that specific yeah. day, it, it doesn't yeah. mean that everything is... is yeah, that's uh, what I would also say if I lost. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Let's do another difficult one for 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 coming month. We talked about energy, energy poverty. So it's it's in Europe. It's especially about gas prices. Since forty percent of our gas came out of Russia, uh, we try to be less dependent on it. We try to fill our uh, reservoirs with gas, and that's why we saw for the last few weeks extreme high prices. Last week it was three hundred twenty-five euro per megawatt hour. It's still almost the same. I don't want to have the exact amount, but I want to hear from you in one. And with the reasoning, the reasoning is more important than the number. Let's be clear on it. Mm. Will it be higher or lower than at this moment? 
And our next podcast is in one month. In one it's month. in one month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe I can give it a go. I think uh, prices of gas, at least in Europe, have been going up for the last two months. So basically, I would think that there are still problems in terms of raising inventories and uh, the crisis in Ukraine and in uh, the war with Russia that will not settle. So I think that at best, I think prices will go up a bit still. So I'm uh, on the higher end because of the geopolitical situation, because of inventories and because demand probably will uh, not uh, subside given that all the policies that we've mentioned, uh, Yuri and I have mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will say lower. And um, I think you can make a good case for that because what has happened indeed, what you were saying on that during summer, most of the European countries have been filling their storage capacity and they are already ahead of their schedule. Uh, I read somewhere that Germany is already a couple of months ahead of schedule. On top of that, I expect uh, also that uh, the the weather uh, prognosis for the for the coming months will be favorable. So there will be a soft winter, and that will also have an effect, of oh. course, on the <laughs> on the gas price and the geopolitical situation. I think it, that will not worsen yet. I think Putin will only shut us down from gas completely when winter is really approaching or already happening. So next month, I believe that uh, gas price will will fall. So we have uh, one also who knows the weather, which is helpful in yeah. this case. Yeah. That, uh, and another person who think it will be uh, will be higher. And I, I think I'm on the side of Maritza this time because we have seen for months that we thought it could not go higher. Well, it's a higher. possibility. But you know the weather, so that makes yeah, it that's, easier that's, for you. Yeah, that's... Okay, let's see uh, in one month. Um, I hope I won't disappoint you, Hans. Uh, on the one hand, I hope you will disappoint us because we aggravate the problem of energy poverty if it's higher. So hopefully you're wrong. Yeah, that's correct. That's <laughs> so, correct. For, for the social cause, uh, but for my professional yeah, professional, professional yeah. future, it's, uh, yeah. that was my, more, my we, comment. Uh, we don't have any bonuses here, Trieda, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay, um, we discussed a little bit of macro. Our conclusion is it's not going better. Uh, so the holiday has been nice, but uh, the economy is in a, in worse condition than I think two months ago. We did, did not discuss our interest rate outlook, but I think it's uh, we expect higher interest rates than before, also given the, the conversation that, um, that Jackson yeah, you yeah. touched upon it. Emerging markets, China is, is a worry. We discussed uh, energy poverty, and I think the solution on poverty in general is that we have to do things together, <laughs> that we have to collaborate and have our own in- initiatives to uh, to do it better. And support the most vulnerable. And support the most vulnerable and also do some fiscal policies on that to, to yeah. help there. Yeah. Any last remarks we have to make here? Is there something we should note before we end? You made a very good summary, so yeah. I think we're done. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I also did something good. So thanks listeners for listening in. Don't forget to tune in next time. Subscribe to our channel, Inside Impact Investing, and let us know what you think. Bye.